Hello, and welcome to the AppThink Podcast. My name is Trevor Newberry. And my name is Dave Mason. We talk to founders, engineers, designers, PMs, and sometimes each other about what it takes to build amazing software products. We hope this podcast helps you turn your big idea into an amazing product. And we're back. So for the next few episodes, you've just got me, Trevor. Now, it's our first official episode of the AppThink Podcast, and I'm super excited about this one. Today, I'm joined by Kelly Lucas, an amazingly talented designer and friend, to introduce you to the world of design. We're staying at a high level today to set the stage for the next two episodes, where we'll dive deeper into design for founders. Full transparency, we recorded this and the next two episodes back-to-back in late summer and early fall 2020. Since that time, Kelly and I have both changed jobs, so some of the job-related content in the following episode may not be 100% accurate, but the content is on point, and in that spirit, I hope you enjoy the first of three conversations with Kelly Lucas. All right, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and uh, just a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, Trevor. My name is Kelly Lucas, and I work for a company in Birmingham, Alabama called Airship. Uh, We build custom mobile apps and web apps for companies that don't have uh, development services in-house or design services in-house. So I lead our design team at Airship, and I work with clients closely to build the right thing at the right time for them. Um, So what I mean by that is, yes, we are great at wireframing. We are great at doing um, high-fidelity mock-ups of things. Um, But when I talk about design at Airship, I'm talking about more than just the UI. Um, So I'm talking about how does it work? Who's going to use it? When are they going to use it? Why are they using it? And really getting to the heart of the value of the products that we're building. Um, So that is our team's responsibility. And we work closely with um, project managers and uh, developers to make sure that uh, we're building a cohesive product that works really well. Awesome. Yeah. And so for uh, the folks listening at home, you know, w- this is a brand new podcast and we are going to be doing this in sort of a serialized format. So um, these first few episodes, Kelly's going to be joining us to talk uh, about the world of design. Um, <clears throat> we decided to start with this because design is something, as you will soon learn, uh, something that touches every part of our daily lives, whether it's the tech that we interact with, the software that we interact with, um, as, as you will also hear soon, um, the physical objects that we pick up um, and use in our day-to-day lives. Design impacts all of that. So it's, it's, you'll, you'll find shortly that it is something that is larger than just making things pretty. Um, it has huge impacts for quality of life and the usefulness of products and, and uh, whether those are software products or physical products. So um, today's episode intro to design for founders. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what is design and how to identify good design. So um, I'm going to put that question straight to Kelly first is tell me what is design? What is design? I personally love Jared Spool's definition of design. Um, It's the rendering of intent. So you design something to serve a function or to do something or to complete a task um, or to provide some sort of usefulness. Um, But there are (laughs) any number of ways to build things, right? Um, You can build them badly or you can build them really well. But at the end of the day, everything is designed one way or another. Um, when there is a lack of design or a lack of intention behind something, it tends to produce things that 
aren't very usable. Um, that applies to software as well. It's not just, you know, physical products. Um, it, it spans the spectrum of all kinds of things. Yeah. And so when we talk about design, um, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that, uh, you know, we talk about what it is and what it isn't. Sometimes the easiest way to understand a a complex subject is to talk a little bit about, you know, what it isn't first, maybe like what people may think of as design and and maybe dispelling some of those common common assumptions about the subject. So, you know, one of my favorite uh, examples, and you'll have to, every time we talk about this, I forget the name of it. But it's the door example. What is it called? Um, you, have you, I don't recall the name of it, but it's, I read about it in the Design of Everyday Things book. Uh, but everyone knows it. If you can just describe it, you walk up to any uh, restaurant or hotel and there's the door with the metal plate on it. And everyone either runs into it because they're trying to push it or they're trying to pull it. And it's not especially clear which way it goes. Um, everyone is going to be familiar with that. Yeah. And so to, to use that as an example, um, the door is badly designed, but not because it's not a pretty door. It's because when you walk up to it, when you encounter that object, you don't know what to do with it. Right. And design, uh, design is to, to kind of go back to what we were talking about. Design is not whether or not it's pretty, you know, what kind of glass is used in it. I guess it could be, it could get down to materials, but it's whether or not the the object itself or the software itself it serves the function that it's intended to serve correct yeah absolutely i think there's a huge piece to design that has to do with clarity um clarity around the intent of what it's supposed to be um going back to your door example there are really beautiful doors and buttons on elevators that you know while you're looking at them look very pretty but you can imagine a solid black door that has some magical button that lights up when you get near it but if, it, if the affordance isn't there to explain to you what to do, then you failed. It, it can't just be pretty. It has to work. Um, I'll use another example that I, uh, I cuss at on a daily basis. I have a coffee pot in my kitchen. And while the coffee pot is beautiful and it looks really nice, every single time that I go to pour a cup of coffee, it leaks. And I'm like, you have one job. <laughs> you have one job pour coffee appropriately out of the craft. And it never does. And every day I'm like, you stupid, pretty coffee pot. I want my, you know, $10 um, coffee thing from Walmart that I had 20 years ago. I want that one back. I just want I I love that example because I actually, as soon as you said that, I thought about we have a uh, kettle in our kitchen um, because my wife drinks a lot of tea. I drink uh, just black coffee because I'm I'm gnarled and grizzled like that. Um, But this this kettle has a big start button on it. And the first time we got it, Abby, my wife, asked me to uh, brew her a cup of tea. And so I did. And I boiled this water. And I poured the, the water over the tea bag, gave it to her. And this kettle just kept beeping. Like, I'm still here. I'm still here. And I finally, I went over to it and I was like, where's the off button? Where's... I can't find how to turn this thing off and it keeps beeping. And Abby shouted from the other room. She was like, just hit the start button. And I turned around and I was like, why would I hit the start button to turn it off? <laughs> uh, and it just, every, when you, when you learn to see, you know, what design is, you see it everywhere. You yeah, got- and, and picking up on that, I don't think most people realize um, that part of that is design. Um, you wouldn't necessarily pick up your coffee pot and think, oh, this designer was terrible, whether it was an industrial designer or maybe they didn't even have a designer, quote unquote, 
assigned to that particular coffee pot that got built. Um, sometimes it's an absence of design that causes things to turn out badly. Um, it reminded me of an article that I, I read this week uh, about, it was like top 10 disastrous UX examples. And one of them on there, I will probably never forget this for the rest of my life. There was a juice company that decided for whatever reason that it was very important that their new juicer that people purchased and put on their counter to make their own juice had a mobile app accompanying it. Why? I don't know. But the point was, you can't actually make juice without going through the app. So not only have you made the product harder to use, you have a beautiful app that did not need to exist in the first place. It maybe would be fine if you needed ingredients or you wanted recipes or something like that. But just to use the juicer, now you've required your users to have to have internet and have to have a phone and have to know how to use a mobile app. And while the mobile app was very pretty, why did it exist? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so many things like that. I mean, I, I think, I don't know if this is a great example because I think there were tech issues that were involved in this, but I always got really frustrated with Siri. Siri had to, had to be connected to broadband or to wireless. So you'd want to use it just to look something up on your phone. And if you were not connected, uh, it wouldn't work for you. So we can say that everything has a design. Everything that we interact with has a design. A lot of design gets taken for granted too. And that's where we see a lot of those problems, like a, like a coffee pot that leaks or a tea kettle that the start big start button is also the off button but it doesn't say off um or a door that you don't know how to use and so what can we like if we had to boil it down to um you know maybe the top three things that we would say that design uh is what how would where where would we go with that for listeners that are just getting started um in this world yeah i think fundamentally it's often a mismatch in expectations um that's typically where it it falls short. But if you had to boil it down to maybe three essential pieces to it, um, I think it has to be functional. Whatever that function is, um, it has to work. Uh, So if it doesn't work, then you have frustrated people because their expectations are, I expect my coffee pot to do this one thing and now it doesn't and now I'm frustrated. Um, Another one picking up on your example is is clarity. That's a big one. Um, If there's a button labeled start that also is off, well, that's, that is another mismatch in expectations because they didn't just name the button properly. Um, and now I'm struggling to think of a third one, but um, those are the few that resonate the most with me. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's actually in the uh, the show notes that we have is um, it says 80% gathering requirements. And I wonder if that's what that number three is as well, is saying it, because what that requires you to do is to talk to your user. Right. It requires you to um, talk to the person that's going to interact with your product so that you can build a functional and clear product that has the proper affordances, as you've you've mentioned. And actually, affordances is something maybe we should define since we we may may run into that again in the future here. Yeah. An affordance is uh, to give you a simple example, tying back to what we were talking about earlier. Think of a solid black door. Um, Maybe it's it's reflective and it looks really fancy like an iPhone that's that's turned off. Um, but if you get close to it, suddenly things appear. Well, that doesn't happen and you can't see the button. I would say there's no affordance for identifying that there is a button for someone to push. Um, you could use the same example in an elevator. I've seen really fancy elevators that do something very similar. You have to like, you know, do a magic wave, um, in front of it to (laughs) turn it on or example where you have to wave your hand over it. Um, if you're imagining humans that are trying to use this technology, um, one of the great examples is, you know, 
a blind user who uses the restroom, who has the, you know, you wave your hand over the back of the code. Well, if they can't see that that is an affordance, they may be looking for a traditional, um, you know, lever to pull to flush the toilet or a specific button. And you can imagine how, how gross is that, that you're having to like feel all over a toilet to get it to flush when in reality, if someone had to just step back ahead of that process, ahead of designing this silly toilet, well, everyone could have used it. This, this wasn't a hard problem to solve. It didn't require new technology to create a new toilet. You just need it to work. Um, so it, affordances are really just making sure that the intention behind the design is clear to people. Um, that you know, buttons look like buttons and doors look like doors that you can pull or push. Um, so having the proper affordances to explain to people in a really simple way, how can I use this thing that's in front of me? Um, we use that a lot in mobile app design. I think everyone has probably experienced situations where you've gone to a website and some designer somewhere has decided that regular menus are, you know, too boring and buttons should look like some crazy something. And you get to the screen and you have no idea what to do. Um, you're trying to scroll, you're like hovering all over the place, you're clicking, you're using the arrow keys because you've just run out of things to look for. Um, so it, you know, affordances can be all kinds of things, but it's really just making sure that it's very clear. What am I supposed mm -hmm. to do? thing or what do I need to do next? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how to identify, you know, quote unquote, good design. I think it's really important at this stage, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of talking about what design is, um, and sort of setting the expectations, but I think it's important for founders that are, are trying to build software to be able to look around and, you know, when, whenever you talk to someone that's doing say branding, right. <clears throat> or someone's building a website for you, what they always ask you for is they say, what do you get? Should give me examples of things that you like, right? Give me an example of a website that you like. So I can kind of get a feel for your, uh, your taste. Well, I think it's important in the same way for founders to be able to look around at other products in the market. So we're talking to software founders here. And so if you're building a web app or a mobile app or um, a SaaS platform, you need to be able to look around and say like, I think this does this really well. Um, I think this has really great design and this is really bad design so that you can start to get a feel for, you know, obviously we all want to design our products really, really well, but there's a lot of ways to do that. Now, to go back to the door analogy, you can use, it can be a push door. It can be um, a sensor that opens the door for you. you. It can be a traditional handle that just turns. Um, all of that stuff is, is possible. So, um, but all of those things can also be done poorly. How do we help founders identify good design? So when you're working with someone at Airship, um, how do you explain to them, why maybe this feature that they've requested or maybe the hand-drawn mock-up they've sent you doesn't make a lot of sense or when you get a hold of uh, something from the development team and you say, guys, great feature, let's work on the way that this is implemented because people don't understand it. So how, how do you explain that to someone who has no uh, understanding? Yeah, that's that, and that's a tough one. There, yeah. I, I can show you good designs all day and I can explain why um, why I think they're good designs, and uh, it's not all, it's it's not really subjective. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Um, but there are plenty of examples of designs that just are not good, um, and I don't know that people would automatically say this is a bad design. It's usually it, it usually just resembles friction. That's the that's the easiest way I can explain it. When you encounter something that you perceive to be harder than it should be to do, um, that is typically an indication of a bad design. Um, for whatever reason, it could be a technical constraint, a physical constraint, whatever it is. 
Um, so we try to design products at Airship that minimize that friction for people um, to ensure that you know they can accomplish the things that they're trying to do really quickly, whether that's, um, gosh, I could throw out 100 examples, but really any software that we build, if it's even like an admin, well, if you need to add users to your system, what's the e- quickest and easiest way to do it um, where people don't feel like they have to have someone beside them to teach them how to use the system? That's, that's one of the biggest uh, indicators to me is... Uh, when we do usability testing, it's observing how difficult things that we build are for people to do. Um, so Trevor, if I were to give you a task tomorrow and say, I need you to go you know, try out this system and add one new user. And you know, five minutes into it, you're still staring at a screen and can't figure out how to add a user. I would say either you know, our buttons aren't clearly labeled enough, or you couldn't even find it in, in the navigation because maybe our menu items aren't labeled clearly. There's all kinds of ways to... Um, understand where that friction is coming from. Um, but just at a glance, I would say anytime that you're using any products, um, whether they're physical or you know software, how hard is it for you to use? How intuitive is it for you to use? Um, I don't think that these always have to be innovative solutions, but they should be intuitive. Um, whether it's you know really complex software or really simple software, um, regardless that you know there are people that are using them one way yeah. or the other and it needs to be easy to use. Absolutely. I, I think maybe, <clears throat> pardon me, the uh, answer to that question, uh, which is a difficult question, is that, you know, to identify good design, you've got to put hands on it, right? You need to use it. Um, it's not easy. It's it's really not possible to identify good design in software or physical goods without actually interacting with it, right? So, you know, what I would tell founders, and I have told founders when they ask about, you know, do I need to have this kind of sign-up form or this kind of that? or the, I, I usually tell them, go download some apps or uh, log out of all the apps on your phone and then start from the login screen and take some notes. Like, how does that process go? Um, <clears throat> if you're using, uh, if you're trying to build something that includes a social sort of aspect to it, right? So any kind of community building or things like that, you know, maybe log on to the Facebook app and take some notes as to like what works really well. What features do you like? Is it easy to nap? Like I found it the other day. I found it was really difficult for me to find a certain part of Facebook that I needed to use for part of my work. You know, so it's all around us. And I think another point to make to founders personally is that there, there's no, there's good design. There's bad design. There's no perfect design. Even the companies uh, that we interact with, Apple, Amazon, Google, they are constantly having to fix design problems. These are the biggest, wealthiest, most powerful uh, companies on the planet. They have just hordes of developers and designers on staff, and they still have design problems. So what we're not looking for is perfection, but we are looking for a threshold of usability of, hey, this makes sense to me and it's easy to do. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things about um, the design world these days is that uh, that threshold for good design goes up every day. Um, There are so many people now focusing on user-centered design, which is fantastic, but it definitely raises the bar um, for everyone in the world. Uh, You know, to to your point, the the login process, if you recall, and I might be dating myself a little bit, but if you backed up, you know, 15 or 20 years, almost every website you used to go to would ask you to create a username. And it's some point, <laughs> that requirement, I think someone probably realized that there's absolutely no reason for us to have usernames in probably 90% of platforms, um, especially e-commerce and that kind of thing. 
Um, and today you realize that, you know, it's typically social login. So can we just use Google everywhere I go? That makes it easier for me. Um, so now if you were to encounter a website that asked for a username that you had to create and you go, you get logged out in that same scenario you mentioned and you go back, you're, uh, there's a very high likelihood you have forgotten what that username is going to be. And you're going to be frustrated before you even get a chance to see the value of the product you're even trying to use. Yep. A hundred percent. I think one other thing to, um, one other big value of, of putting hands on things, you know, as a way to identify good design and to anchor your expectations for your own products, um, is that sometimes what appears to be good design, right, is not necessarily good design. So one of the things we have in our show notes for today is uh, Face ID, right? Everyone who bought, uh, who has an iPhone from the iPhone 10 or the iPhone X or whatever we're calling it, I get that screwed up all the time, um, through today's iPhone 11 uh, variants, uses Face ID, right? And it's terrible. It's awful. You can't open your phone easily. Now that we're all wearing masks, it doesn't work with your, you're still entering a code. Uh, it, it solved a problem that, Apple self-imposed, right? Um, they self-imposed the the restrictions that that meant that they had to develop this facial recognition technology. Um, and so in that respect, it allows these phones to be usable, but uh, they're they're talking about going back. They're talking about under glass fingerprint sensors because frankly, they just worked better, right? It, yeah. yeah, like solving a problem that didn't need to be solved. It, yes. it wasn't a problem. I mean, I know, Trevor, you and I have talked about it, but you know, there's nothing that makes me madder than when I'm sitting here at work and my phone is laying down on the on my desk. I used to just be able to tap my finger on it and see what it was, but now I've got to disrupt everything, put it in my face, or if it's at night, I've got to make sure I'm illuminated enough to just unlock my phone. And I'm just wondering what you know. Apple's supposed to be one of the most user-centered organizations in the world, and sometimes even they mess up, and that's okay. But I'm glad to see that they, they're kind of trying to do a course correction at this point because they really should. And it drives me absolutely bonkers because I can't imagine, you know, how many usability sessions that they have to sit through for them to have thought that this was a good idea. Oh, to you begin know, they, they focus grouped it to death. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then they built up and then they, they implemented something that was just poorly designed. Yeah. And, and you know, with companies like Apple, you know... Eh, they have the market share and the money behind it that it doesn't really matter if they if they impose a frustrating uh, design decision uh, with a feature on their users uh, doesn't really matter because we're all still gonna frankly I'm still gonna buy an iPhone because there's not a lot of Android phones out there that really compare there are some uh, but I don't like I don't like the design I mean on generally speaking I think that Apple products are both prettier and more functional. Um, generally speaking, but, you know, because of that, they can afford to do something like implement face ID. And then when I get upset about it, they, they're like, well, just hang out for a couple of generations and maybe we'll get it fixed. Yeah. So I go to unlock my phone. It's still that, that little bit of friction. It's not huge. It's not monumental. It's not enough for me to, like you said, switch from, um, Apple to Android, but at the same time, every time that it's, you know, really dark or we're, you know, we're camping and I, it, the phone just can't even see my face. I get frustrated <laughs> because I can't, there's that threshold again. It's you have certain expectations that things should just work the way that you expect them to work. And so, you know, I think there's, there's a tremendous pressure for people who are creating products now to um, try to make sure that they're meeting that threshold or exceeding. 
And that goes harder and harder every year. But I, I think speaking to our discipline of design, and I, I don't mean um, you know, UX design specifically, but really anyone who is building a product, whether you're a developer, you're anyone else, um, trying to keep in mind that, you know, the, if you are introducing friction, then you need to take a step back and see if you can eliminate that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a perfect way to put that. Um, so, you know, to kind of wrap things up here, uh, you know, the two big things that we wanted to cover today were, you know, what is design and how to identify good design. So going back to like, what is design? Um, let's start with, you know, we're, we're building it for users. So you're gathering requirements. You're actually talking to the people that are going to use it. You're building functions as a second step, right? Functions that, uh, achieve the intended, uh, effect. Um, and then clarity, right? It's making it easy to understand, building in affordances that make it really, really easy for a user to understand what they need to do with thing X. Is that a good way to kind of sum that up? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, when you're looking at, you know, building a good product, you you want the design to get out of the way. You don't want people to notice the design other than it's pleasant to look at and it achieves the purpose of what I expect it to do. Um, if you are anything short of that, people are going to notice and not necessarily in a pleasant way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then identifying good design, you know, the, the takeaway here is you need to go put hands on things. You need to go interact with products uh, and, you know, within the context of this show with software products and take notes about what is actually happening and pay attention to what is in your hands and how you're interacting with those software products uh, and, and, and make sure that, you know, you're looking for friction, you're looking for unnecessary friction um, and you're looking for ways to eliminate that friction. What would you add to that? Yeah, I, I would say, especially keep an eye out for um, any kind of software applications that surprise you. Um, and I mean, surprise in a good way, like a delightful experience. Um, there are there are several that uh, that I can think of on a daily basis that I come across that, that just surprises me by something. I'm like, oh, well, that's really nice. Like one of the examples I can think of is the um, when the iPhone started doing the um, six digit verification and you didn't have to switch between, you know, your text message and whatever application you were trying to do the verification through. It just right over for you. And that's one of those, I remember the first time I got one, I just thought, wow, that's so nice. And it was a small thing, but I think looking out for those little moments, um, when you're using other software is going to help you build a better product. Um, especially if you can understand why they did it. Um, and you can insert that into your products as you build them. Yeah. I think one, one last thing that I would add to it too, that you, you brought up and I think it's something that, uh, goes un, it doesn't go unmentioned, but it doesn't get mentioned often enough is that sometimes simple is better. Um, I I think a lot of founders get, uh, caught in the trap of trying to reinvent the wheel, trying to do something just truly spectacular. And frankly, your design is, should be built to facilitate an action clearly and easily. Uh, and sometimes the easiest way to do that is to, is just to use a button that says the thing that you want it to say, that it should say to, to communicate what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I I think there's nothing that frustrates me more than seeing a perfectly fine design that someone has tried to improve and has made it hard to use. Um, that's the antithesis of design. You, You want it clear, you know, if, if there was nothing broken with the old version, you don't necessarily need to redesign the wheel, like you said. Yeah. And to kind of foreshadow where we're going with this, um, the next episode, uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, there are real and, 
and and really important implications that design has for your business as someone who builds software. If you are building a mobile app or a web app, any website, um, design has has really really important uh, impacts on uh, your ability to sell, your ability to scale. So there's not just a a human centered, touchy feely, make sure everybody can use it. It also matters for your business, and so we'll dive a little bit deeper in that uh, in the next episode. But uh, for today, you know, this is uh, the introduction to design. I hope it's been helpful, um, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm excited about the next couple episodes. Thanks for listening to AppThink. If you want to learn more about how you can turn your big idea into an amazing product, head on over to appthink.io. That's A-P-P-T-H-I-N-K dot I-O to check out our free resources. And if you're ready to get started building your product, sign up for one of our courses to help you save time and money building an amazing, successful product.